Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. All right, well, last year we did a sermon series in the dog days of summer. I don't know if you remember it. It was called Christian Music That Is Not Christian Music. And you know, I just love listening to secular music. Listening to songs that have nothing to do with Jesus or with the scriptures whatsoever. But when we hear the words, it's as if actually it is about Jesus because it reminds us that much of him. We're only going to do one of these songs in 2021 And it is one of the most beautiful worship songs that has ever been composed. And once again, it's not even about Jesus or about the Word of God. It just has a poignancy of the Christian experience in this world. And so I want to take us back to November 23rd, 1970. Now, I don't know what you were doing on November 23rd, 1970. I was 14 years away from even existing, but... There was a song from a triple album called All Things Must Pass, and it was soaring up to the number one spot on the charts. As I've read, radio stations everywhere had been playing it in rotation. And the name of the song was My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. I don't know if you remember My Sweet Lord or not, but, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for us this morning, but maybe you can listen to it on the drive home. Now, My Sweet Lord was the first number one song released by an ex-Beatle at the time. Now, it was written originally with the Hindu god Krishna in mind. And yet, once again, though, as we hear the words of these songs, so oftentimes, if we listen close enough, we could be hearing the song and it's like, that is speaking about the Christian life. It's not really, but as I listen to it, in my own world, it is. I mean, this is so much a worship song that we can, if we wanted to, we could be in our hymn books and we could have Fred sing it for us on Sunday morning if we wanted to. The words of it go, my sweet Lord, Mm, my sweet Lord, I really want to see you. I really want to be with you. I really want to see you, Lord, but it takes so long, my Lord. Second verse is, I I really want to know you. I really want to go with you. I really want to show you, Lord, that it won't take long, my Lord. And then in the chorus, echoing is the word hallelujah over and over and over again. And then again, he says that I really want to see you. I really want to be with you. I really want to see you, Lord, but it takes so long, my Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where our message is this morning. And the Apostle Peter is writing to a group of Christians who we are very quickly going to identify with. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. There the Apostle writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, where according to His great mercy He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And He's given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, and it is kept in heaven just for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so what he's saying to these Christians is that even though at one time we were all dead in our sins, even though God doesn't owe us anything, and we are not entitled to receive anything from the hand of Almighty God, now because of the love of Jesus, we are now awash in His mercy. And that because Jesus arose from the grave, He's given us a hope that is living. He's given us something that we can live for every moment of every single day that we live. And unlike so much of the riches and pursuits of this world, now we have a spiritual inheritance from Jesus that that moths cannot erode, that thieves cannot break in and steal from us. Rather, our inheritance and we ourselves, our very souls, Peter says, are being guarded by the hand of God as we believe in His love for us. As Peter continues, he says that in all of these these truths and um, assurances, we greatly rejoice, he says. And yet then I want to especially draw our attention to verse 8, and that is where our message for us is this morning. Where it says in verse 8 that though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see Jesus, you believe in him. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and it is filled with glory. And so in other words, what Peter is saying to them is that you, you love Jesus. You have faith in Jesus even though... You have not seen his face. Now the Apostle Peter, on the other hand, he saw Jesus. And he only saw Jesus every hour of every day. The guy spent three years with Jesus. He laughed with Jesus. He cried with Jesus. He was praised by Jesus and he was rebuked by Jesus. And in the very worst moment of Peter's life there in front of the fire, as he swears that third time that he never heard of Jesus, looking back at him was the haunting face of Jesus Christ. Peter looking deep into his eyes as Jesus looked deep into his eyes. I mean, Peter was inside Jesus' inside circle on top of that. He got to see things that only two of the other apostles out of the twelve ever got to see. I mean, Peter had been standing there just just as close as I am from, from Fred and from Jerry. As Jesus brought a little girl back even from, from her death. He was there on the mountain. He was an eyewitness to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on the holy mountain. He was there in the upper room as he saw with his own eyes the risen Savior in their midst. And yet the issue is, as now he's writing this all these years later, all these other Gentile people living in the Eastern Roman Empire, they had never seen Jesus in their whole lives. I mean, this has been 25, 30, 30 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Jesus. 
These are people who, if you were to say the name of Jesus, I mean, Jesus is just a name from sermons and from letters to these people. Jesus is just the guy who all of this had been revolving around when they would eat the bread and drink the cup. And yet even though he says, you have never seen his face, even though you have never looked directly into the eyes of Jesus Christ, you believe in him. You depend on Him. You trust in Jesus. And that's because they had heard about His love. They were enchanted about the way that He responded to harsh mistreatment from the world. And when they discovered the way that He sacrificed His own life so that they could spiritually live in paradise forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, well, at that point, that was all that they wanted to live for until they died. It might seem like a strange concept to us, a very unlikely thing, but, but even though you and I are more than two millennia removed from these men and from these women, we really have so much in common with them. And that's because you and I serve an unseen Jesus as well. You know, as 21st century Americans, Jesus is a name to our ears. And yet he is not a face to our eyes. I mean, Jesus is the guy from the stained glass windows in this country, you know? He's the blue-eyed hippie in a toga from that old painting in the 60s where he looks like he could be the lead guitarist in the doors or something. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't know what Jesus looks like. We have never seen Jesus with our own eyes. You know, the only descriptions that were given in all the scriptures seem to come from the prophet Isaiah, where he says he's going to be Jewish, he's going to have a beard, and he's not going to be very good looking. And that's pretty much all that we know about his outward appearance. That's it. But like these precious Christians here, in the Eastern Roman Empire, though, we too can also say that, that even though we have never seen Jesus, we believe in Him. Even though we have never directly looked into His face or, or have seen Him in all of His glory, that doesn't matter. Is that we have heard about His love for us too. And even though we have not seen Him, we believe in Him as much as Abraham did at times in our lives. And yet, you know, the struggle is in this world that the vast majority of people who will walk in this world, you know, the very notion of an unseen Savior is simply a deal breaker for them. Now, George Harrison attributed my sweet Lord to the Hindu monk, Swami Vivekananda. And what Vivekananda had taught, among other things, is that if there is a God, if there truly is a God out there somewhere, then we must be able to see him with our own eyes. And so in that particular school of Hindu thought, the only gods that exist are the ones which we are able to visually lay our eyes upon, even if we have to create them with our own hands. In the 1960s, Russian cosmonauts blasted off into space looking for heaven, searching for God on a throne somewhere. And when they came back, what they had reported was, well, we didn't see heaven and we didn't see God, we didn't see Jesus, so this proves once and for all that it's all made up. 
Well, as that all went down in the 60s, the great Christian writer C.S. Lewis, he had replied in this fashion. He said that would be like Hamlet going up into the attic of his castle and looking for Shakespeare. You know, I just find it so remarkable that we as people have so little faith at times in an intelligent God who would breathe all of this into existence. And yet we have so much faith everywhere else that we look just about. I mean, we don't even realize all of the faith that we have every single time that we set foot on an airplane. I mean, faith in complete strangers who we will never know. I mean, as we're getting on a plane, I mean, what are we doing exactly? We're cramming into a giant bus that has wings on it with about 100 other people. We're going 40,000 feet up into the sky above clouds. Stewardesses are literally warning people that there's a chance that this plane might crash into a mountain or splash into the ocean, but don't get too worried about that. But, but in case if it does happen, here's what we're going to try to do. But nobody's listening to that, of course. I mean, you have fistfights erupting in the aisles. You have all kinds of, of, of just crazy stuff happening on flights now. You're dodging lightning bolts in the sky, and yet all the while, all the while, there are two pilots behind a curtain. You have no idea who these people are. It might be a raging alcoholic driving the plane. It might be a guy having a nervous breakdown as he flies 40,000 feet in the sky. It might, it might be a chimpanzee flying the plane for all we know. We don't know. But we believe, we, we have trust in absolute strangers that we will get to our destination safely. We have all the faith in the world when it comes to something as, as crazy as that. And yet so often, for some reason, we just won't have faith in a God who, who has shown us countless times that, that I've got you. And that I'm here for you. You see, the reason why we remember these Christians in the text this morning is because even the Apostle Peter seems to be amazed at them. As if he is admiring the love and the joy of these believers who had never even seen Jesus like he had. And like them, we love Jesus and we trust in Jesus even though we haven't seen his face. And yet the Christian struggle is on this earth as George Harrison's beautiful song, My Sweet Lord, says in the chorus line, but it takes so long to see him. You see, I love this song because to us, this is a psalm of lament, you know? Where there's a melancholy, there is an ache, there's this restless impatience of God, I love you, God, I believe in you, but I want to see you. I want to see you so bad. But it just takes so long because as you and I all know, especially us, you know, we know it far too well that, that long before we ever get to lay our eyes upon God in paradise, there is a lifetime of struggles and tragedies awaiting us. See, here in chapter 1, what the apostle goes on and he says is that they are being grieved by various trials, he says. Chapter 4, he, he also refers to them as, as fiery ordeals that they're undergoing. 
You know, these Christians are living in a time where they, they have a lot of pressure to renounce Jesus and to worship Caesar like everybody else. And they've refused to do that so far, and so they are impoverished because of this now. Others of them have, have illnesses and they're sick. Just about all of them are undergoing a persecution that is fiery, he says. I mean, these believers, we, we have to understand that these believers are absolutely hurting. They are exhausted by this world. Their hearts are, are absolutely tormented by, by every kind of sorrow imaginable. Just as we so often ache, and we are also haunted by the sorrows and the troubles of this world. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what the Apostle Paul says is that he compares our, our earthly bodies to a tent. And he says that as we live in this world, waiting to be clothed in heaven, waiting to lay our eyes upon the living God, waking up day after day after day, I mean, he says that we groan in these earthly tents of ours. We just can't wait to be seen by Jesus and to see Jesus in paradise, but it takes so long, he says in other words there. And yet again, we marvel at these Christians in 1 Peter. I mean, he almost seems to be marveling at them, like, like how can such love and such joy come from, from all these people who are suffering so severely and for a God that they have never seen before? I mean, how can they trust this much in a God that they don't know even what he looks like? And I think what they would say to us is that, yes, it takes so long. It takes so long. But once you reach paradise, once you are in the loving bosom of the loving God forever and ever and ever, you would do it all over again 10,000 times over if it means being here for just one second. And yet, you know, having said that, though, there actually is a sense in which we have already seen Jesus. We have already looked into the face of God, whether we know it or not. There's a scene in a movie called Risen about the resurrection of Jesus that, that I've always loved. It's not in scripture, but there is a moment in this movie that it just is, is a beautiful scene. Where there's a Roman senator who is interrogating an apostle, a Bartholomew. And he's in his face and he's trying to intimidate him. He's saying, where is Jesus? We keep hearing about Jesus being here again, but where is he? Where are you guys hiding Jesus? And, and so he leans in and he gets close to the Roman senator's ear. And Bartholomew with the biggest, most, most you know, teary-eyed smile I've ever seen, whispers in his ear, he's everywhere. Jesus is everywhere you look now. And that's because Jesus is embodied by those who are suffering in this world. Jesus can be seen, Jesus can be experienced in the oppressed, in the demonized, in the ostracized of our world. Jesus is the black man who is serving the third year of a prison sentence of a crime that he knows he did not commit. 
Jesus is a single mother of three children who just got evicted from her apartment and now are living out in the streets in Baltimore. Jesus is the most unpopular kid on a high school campus who eats lunch all by himself every single day in the darkened stairwell and who feels as if he doesn't have a friend in this world. Every time that we visit a loved one in the hospital, do we understand that yes, we are visiting that individual, but we are also paying Jesus Christ a visit. Jesus Christ is laying in that hospital bed. And I'll never forget many years ago in Florida, I was just walking late one Sunday night in downtown Ocala, Florida. And there was a deaf man who had stopped me in the streets. And I don't know sign language all that well, but he seemed, you know, he needed something to eat, perhaps he needed money. I don't know what it was, but I didn't have a whole lot. And in fact, I hardly gave him anything at all. I mean, it was no help whatsoever to him, I imagine. And yet I have an uncle who, who is completely deaf. My grandmother worked in a deaf school for like 25, 30 years. And so I, I know a little bit of sign language. And I knew enough to say, Jesus loves you. Where we just had this moment where he just walked up and he had embraced me. And I embraced him. He laid his head on my, my shoulder. Tears filling his eyes. Tears filling my eyes. And as I walked away from, from him and from that experience, it was just this bone-chilling realization that <laughs> I just saw Jesus. I just hugged Jesus in the streets of Ocala, Florida. I just looked into the face of Jesus. I looked into his eyes. Now, yes, it was only a glimpse. And it was only for a split second, but it was him. It was Jesus. Because he is the one who... Speaking about many people in this world, he says that, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the people of God are going to answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see Jesus thirsting and give him something to drink? When did we see God as a stranger and welcome him? When did we see Jesus naked and clothe him or, or sick and, or, or, or in a prison and visit him? And Jesus says, the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, so you did it to me. So, I mean, yes, in the words of, of, of Bartholomew and Risen, when we walk outside those doors, Jesus is everywhere we look, just about. And this just entered my mind, too. I don't know if it has anything to do with, with um, a text, but it just dawns on me that the happiest people we're going to see in heaven were blind Christians in this world. I mean, the very first thing blind Christians are going to ever see is the face of Jesus Christ in paradise. So yes, Jesus can be seen by 
many people who are oppressed in this world, people who are suffering, people who are hurting. And yet Jesus can also be seen and experienced by other people in the world when they encounter us. They can look into even our faces and they can see Jesus looking back at them. When you take the shoes off of your, your feet and give them to a homeless man, when you spent money that you did not have buying a little girl Christmas presents, when you pay for a person's lunch behind you in line and then vanish before the cashier tells them that their lunch is free, it seems like a very small thing, but, but Jesus was just in that restaurant. It was only a glimpse. It only lasted for a split second, but, but for that split second, Jesus Christ was in that restaurant. And especially when someone in this congregation loses a spouse, perhaps, or they lose a job and they don't know what they're going to do, or they, they get a diagnosis that is very alarming to them, and one of us sits down with them, but we don't know what to say to them. The words just won't come out and we just feel so useless, like, like we're not helping them. And yet there is such an overwhelming presence, though, of I love you so much. And I am here with you. We're going to get through this together. Our brother and our sister just sat down with Jesus Christ himself. You see, this is why loving God and loving people is the most important thing in this world. John says that if you cannot love brothers and sisters who you've seen 9,000 times, then how are you ever going to love a God who you have never seen with your own eyes? So as we close this morning, even though we have not seen Jesus' face, here is how our belief in our unseen Jesus is going to increase in the days ahead. Number one, we need to, every single day, remember the power of confession. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, speaking to a group of baptized believers in Rome, says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, you will continue to be saved in the days ahead. This is why every single morning in my prayers, right smack dab in the middle of it, after I've read something about Jesus out of the Gospels, immediately what I, I, I pray is the Apostles' Creed. Where I say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe that He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, and on and on it goes, and... I realize that, you know what, I can, I can replace that word Catholic in the middle with Christian. I believe in the holy Christian church. And as I confess Jesus in all of these ways every single morning as my day begins, now all of a sudden it is the most powerful prayer on the face of the earth. And I can just feel my dependency and my confidence in Jesus Christ exploding in my soul. And lastly, what we need to do is to no longer look for our, our own happiness in a dying world, yet rather to seek a Christ-like heart. 
And that's because on his Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said in his Beatitudes was, Blessed are the pure in heart. And you remember what he said after that? That if you live with a pure heart in this world, you are going to see God with your own eyes. As we have sung so many times, and Lord, haste the day when the faith shall become sight. The clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. Well, that day is coming for us where after we have sung those words for, for like 60 or 70 years, finally, our faith in Jesus Christ is going to become sight. And we're going to be looking into his eyes and he's going to be looking back at us in all of his glory. I close with this memory. It's a memory of Jesus standing in the upper room. He has just been crucified just a few days before. And all of the apostles except for just one have seen him. And Thomas says, okay, you guys keep on saying this stuff about Jesus being back again. But I'm telling you guys right now that unless I see it with my own eyes, unless I reach out with my own hands and I feel the scars in his flesh, I will never believe a word of all of this madness. Well, before he even knew it, he was looking into the face of Jesus. Jesus, in this very beautiful moment, he, he takes Thomas by the hand and he, just as he had requested, he places it in his side where the spear had been driven through. And he takes his hand and he places it on the scars in his hands. And Thomas proclaims what I imagine each and every one of us are going to say as we see Jesus someday. As he says, my Lord... And my God. And yet I love what Jesus says though in response. Where he says, have you believed just because you have seen me with your own eyes, Thomas? And then he pronounces a brand new beatitude upon him and upon us as he says, blessed are those who have not seen me with their own eyes. And yet, who believe. And these words, my brothers and sisters, should, should especially be treasured by you and by me because they are in reference to us. Yet until then, in the meantime, we live another day in this world groaning in our bodies of pain and of sadness. And yet George Harrison has given us a beautiful song to sing until we leave this world. Where as we live and as we're going about our day, my sweet Lord, I really want to see you. I really want to see you, but it takes so long, my Lord. 